Welcome to Marrow Masters Season 3, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Jazz Pharmaceuticals, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. This season of Marrow Masters focuses on the patient perspective and many needs regarding bone marrow and stem cell transplant. Here is your host, Executive Director of the NBMT Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome to Marrow Masters Patient Podcast Series, Season 3. Today, we have Kelly Barnwell of Atlanta, Georgia with us. Kelly is an acute lymphoblastic leukemia, also known as ALL survivor, with so very much to share. Kelly's had two transplants. The second one was a haplo, and that is something we have been wanting to hear more about. Kelly will share her story, and I promise you, you will be inspired as we hear firsthand all about Kelly's journey. Kelly, thanks for being with us today. Let's talk about your diagnosis, transplant life today, and everything in between. Thanks, Peggy. I'm happy to share my story. So what I'm going to do to kind of give you a background is we're going to back up to the summer of 2017, and that's when this journey began. My name is Kelly Barnwell. I'm a registered nurse. And at the time, summer of 2017, and prior to that, I was working in the emergency room at a level one trauma center in Atlanta. At the time, I was 45 years old. I had been married for 23 years and the mother of two children. One was in high school at the time. He was 16 years old then. And the other one was in college at the University of Georgia, and she was 22 years old. So my children were older. I had never been sick. I didn't have any medical problems. I never even had the flu. But during that summer, I just started not feeling well. I had extreme fatigue, just generally didn't feel well at all, which wasn't like me at all, but maybe kind of attributed it to getting older. I'm not sure. I was calling into sick to work because I was so tired. And that was just something that I never did. And my lymph nodes in the back of my neck were swollen and they just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I assumed maybe I had some sort of infection, like something going on, like strep throat or something that would just resolve eventually. And it didn't. I went to urgent care, got a shot of antibiotics and a steroid, started to feel a little bit better, but just for a day or two, and then started not feeling well again, really tired, just nausea, those kinds of things. Woke up one morning to take my son to school, and I started to talk to him and realized my tongue was swollen, which was concerning. So I took him to school and then drove myself to the local ER. And they were very suspicious of the swollen lymph nodes and were maybe even thinking lymphoma because of the swollen lymph nodes. The strange thing in the ER, ERs do CAT scans. They don't do emergent MRIs, but their CAT scan machine was down that day. So they had talked about even sending me by ambulance to one of their sister ERs in the area to do a CAT scan, but then talked to the radiologist and decided, let's go ahead and do an MRI. They went ahead and did the MRI. It was a long MRI because it was soft tissue neck, and those take over an hour. But as soon as the MRI was over, 
the radiologists immediately ran the reports and they were very suspicious for leukemia or lymphoma or some other type of blood cancer. The ER immediately referred me to the nearest cancer center for further evaluation the following week. This was all on a Friday. So that afternoon, my husband, he's sitting there with me. He came home from work when I went to the ER and the cancer center called him. Of course, it was very disturbing to him that immediately a cancer center is calling and they scheduled an appointment for the following week. And the oncologist that saw me thought, well, this probably isn't a cancer situation. You're fairly young and healthy otherwise. Maybe this is just some sort of terrible infection, but because we kind of been back and forth with insurance and trying to get a PET scan that he figured, let's go ahead and do the biopsy just to be sure we're just going to rule out lymphoma or leukemia or whatever. That's probably not what it is. And he sent us to an ENT doctor across the street to do the biopsy. And I got to the ENT and he kind of felt the same as the oncologist that This wouldn't be a cancer diagnosis. It was probably just some nasty infection and tried to talk to me and my husband about waiting to have the biopsy. And my husband was like, nope, no way. (laughs) We're going to do it today. We have good insurance. Let's get this handled. And we did. He went ahead and did the biopsy. And I believe this was towards the end of the week as well. We were looking at, you know, Thursday or Friday. The following week, On Tuesday morning, the oncologist's office called me and said they had some of the results in and wanted to see me immediately. And being a nurse or just anybody else who's had any kind of reports come back from a doctor, if they want to see you because they only got part of it back, you know, deep down, it's not going to be good news. Sure. Yes. So... Tuesday, my husband and my son, because he was here, my daughter was away at the time. The three of us went and it took a few minutes for him to come into the office. And we did. He brought the piece of paper with a partial diagnosis from the biopsy. And it said that I had acute B-cell, acute lymphoblastic lymphoma. And he seemed to be very upset by that. And he said, this is rare. This is so rare. We don't treat it here. There are not many places around that do. There are two places in Atlanta that treat it that you need to go see immediately. And he's like, pick one. And I picked Northside Hospital. This was just like, you know, you had minutes to decide. So I picked Northside. He typed the referral. I kind of watched him type it. And then he's like, I'm going to send this right now and they'll be in touch with you. And right after we got back to the house, probably about one or two Northside BMT called and said they had our results. They'd already talked to the insurance. If I still wanted them to treat me, everything was set. And they start off new leukemias or, well, at the time I didn't know it was leukemia, that they wanted me in the hospital. So they admitted me the following morning, said, pack a bag. You're going to be here for a few days. And went the following morning, which was Friday morning, to the BMT unit at Northside Hospital, and they started extensive testing that they would do prior to treatment, if they were going to start chemo, things that they would have to do to make sure everything was okay. So I had like 
CT, chest, abdomen, pelvis, an echo to make sure my heart was okay for chemo, a bone marrow biopsy. The bone marrow biopsy was actually the very first thing that they did. And then, of course, they send that off, but they were also looking at it there in their office as well. And the next morning, after all of this testing, just all day long, of course, tons and tons of blood work and DNA samples. The next morning on August 19th, which was Saturday morning, they confirmed the diagnosis as acute lymphoblastic leukemia and actually started chemo treatment that day. Uh, My husband was like, why so fast? And they said, well, it's a very aggressive cancer and we need to start now. So I was diagnosed on Thursday, admitted on Friday and Saturday, actually started chemo. Wow, Kelly, I can't imagine what that was like. So it was super fast, but I was like, okay, well, I guess this is good. I'm getting treatment and we're getting started. And we had talked about, you know, the certain markers that have to be there to see if you are eligible for bone marrow transplant. And, you know, those came back and I was, and my sister had come up to visit and they had told me that you had a 25% chance of a sibling to be a suitable match. Well, I had one sibling, my sister, Katie. And she was there and they tested her. And when hers came back, probably a couple of weeks later, she was a 10 out of 10 match. Terrific, Kelly. We know how important that is. Yes. Very exciting. And plus, I found out that they said, you know, there are some people that have like eight, 10, nine, whatever siblings, and none of them are a match. So I felt very fortunate that my one and only sister, you know, was a perfect match. And of course, she was up and ready for whatever she had to do. So she came up, the transplant was scheduled for December 22nd of that year. So super fast, August to December. We went through chemo. I'd had all the other things that they do to get ready for transplant, like lumbar punctures, because when you have leukemia, they say it can also get into your brain, make sure that that was all negative. All of that was fine. I had the transplant, the things that they do to prepare you for transplant, the chemo ahead of time. And then I had total body irradiation twice a day for an entire week. That was tough. I mean, radiation doesn't hurt at all, but boy, it will just suck the life out of you. (laughs) I can only imagine. Oh my gosh, you are just so tired. It was terrible. So by the time December 22nd came around, Katie had made her donation I went into the hospital that morning and got the transplant, which is a few people thought, you know, I hope your surgery goes okay. And I'm like, well, it's not really a surgery. It's more of a transfusion, like a blood transfusion. You know, it's, there's no real surgery involved and everything went well. And at my particular BMT unit, if you can walk and eat and have no fever that day, you get to go home that night they don't keep you the 30 days like a lot of places do. You know, you, as long as you stay fever free, you know, you have to go into the clinic every single day in that particular case. So I went home that night, got a good night's sleep in my own bed, woke up the next morning with a neutropenic fever. So I was immediately readmitted back to the hospital. And that kind of 
process went on for a while, you know, go into the hospital for a fever, stay there till you're fever free for, I want to say 72 hours, but it just kind of became like a cycle. You get a lot of fevers because you have no immune system. It's completely wiped out. Started to feel a little bit better after day 100, got a little bit of my strength back. Of course, I was staying at home except for going to the clinic because, you know, no immune system. You can't be out in public, those kinds of things. So I had, you know, 24-hour care at home. So I went back at my six-month post-transplant appointment, and they did a full workup of restaging with the blood work, bone marrow biopsy, those type of things. And I re-met with my doctor a couple weeks later when everything was back. And I was in remission. The biopsy was negative, And I had grafted from the transplant, which we knew a few weeks prior to that. And everything looked good. And I felt pretty good. But very soon after, started feeling a lot of fatigue. Like, I would get up in the mornings and I would go walk. And I felt pretty good. And I'd eat breakfast and do my daily things, brush my teeth, take a shower, that kind of stuff, and then nap after lunch. And I didn't have much energy after that. And my appetite started to decrease. And as time went on, strange things were kind of happening. Like my hearing was off. Like my mom would talk to me and her voice sounded so strange. And I thought it was funny. And I'm like, something's wrong with your voice. Not something was wrong with her voice. It was my hearing, but I was so tired and just not thinking straight and it wasn't connecting like it should have. I was sweating a lot, like night sweats were back, but I thought I had had just hot flashes or something like that because of my age. I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking properly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When things start happening like that, I'm like, I should know better because I'm a nurse, but I wasn't recognizing what was going on. And it continued to get worse. And, you know, moving on into like October, it just kept getting worse. And I would get out of the bathtub and I'd go straight to sleep. And my husband, you know, was taking care of me. He's like, he would get upset. He's like, something is wrong with you. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just tired. I'm just tired. We're going to the doctor tomorrow. You know, it's my normal follow-up appointment scheduled and we'll ask tomorrow. So got up the next day, got dressed. This is October 25th. So 10 months post-transplant. And I got there and I had typed out a list on my phone of everything that was going on with me. Like, you know, the exhaustion, I was having headaches every single day, which I didn't think much about the headaches because I had headaches before, but that, that my hearing was off And I was kind of nauseous and I was losing my appetite. Just strange things were happening. And she just obviously was very concerned. She's like, let's scan your head. Let's send you downstairs. So they called ahead, sent me downstairs, and I had a CT scan of my brain. When the CT was over, the radiologist who was doing it said, why don't you just stay laying down for a minute? I'm like, oh, that'd be fantastic because I'm too tired to stand up. But in my mind, I knew that was bad news. So, you know, I had been around enough CTs to know if we're going to tell you to (laughs) stay there for a minute, there's a problem. Anyway, I was probably laid there for about 15 more minutes and I got up 
you know, they were going to send me back upstairs. They're like, okay, the radiologist has looked at it. They've talked to your doctors upstairs. You can go back up. So my husband was there. I was just so tired. I couldn't even stand up. And I hit the wall with my shoulder, almost like I was drunk or something. And I just couldn't stand up. And he grabbed my shirt and held me from the back, kind of helped me walk, Okay, walked upstairs. So my gait was off. I couldn't walk a straight line, almost like I was drunk, which I wasn't, obviously. And we got upstairs and he told me that when I was talking to my mid-level, that I was slurring my words, which I didn't even hear. I didn't even realize that was happening. So when I got up there, I was greeted by both the physician and my mid-level. They were waiting for me. They're like, come on in here and lay down. I'm like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) laying down sounds good. So the CT revealed that I had a lot of swelling in my brain and they believed I had a collection of leukemia cells in my brain. So it had come back and I had relapsed. I was five days away from being able to go back out in public. And and, and I was just counting down the time. I'm like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to the grocery store. In this time, I had not done anything. You know, you can't go be in public. You can't be around people. There are so many things you can't do. But no, I had had relapsed. So they admitted me to the hospital. I was supposed to go to neuro ICU. Actually, a neurosurgeon came in to meet me still. This is in the BMT clinic. And he said that they were ready to do surgery that night if needed. And I was like, what? (laughs) You know, that's just not what I planned on hearing that morning. I was just planning on somebody telling me how being tired is just part of the process. No, that was not the situation. You were so close to. I was so, I was five days away. I kept saying five days away, but this was bad. It was back, but it was all in my brain. And there was a lot of swelling in my brain. They were afraid I was going to herniate. So that's why neurosurgery had gotten involved and they said they were prepared to do surgery that night if needed. That's just not something you plan on hearing when you wake up, you know? So they admitted me that night to neuro ICU and then the BMT put all their protocols in, which has a lot to do with, you know, your platelets and your blood levels and a lot of your electrolyte levels. And they said, you know, of course we know how to give blood and we know how to give platelets, but we're just not familiar with these protocols. And I guess a lot of back and forth, they sent me back upstairs to the BMT floor, you know, which they just see BMT patients at that particular floor. So they sent me there, but neurosurgery continued to follow me just in case. So a lot of MRIs and had another bone marrow biopsy. The bone marrow biopsy came back negative. So the leukemia came back, but it was not systemic. It was contained just in my central nervous system, CNS only. So although I had relapsed, we had to reduce the swelling in the brain, of course, first. Could not have a lumbar puncture until the swelling was decreased enough because they didn't want a herniation. And of course, I didn't want a herniation. Nobody wants their brain to herniate. So we had to wait for that to come down before they could even do lumbar puncture to test the cerebral spinal fluid to check for the leukemia. That came back positive. Once they were able to go in and do the lumbar puncture positive for leukemia cells, and I started getting 
intrathecal chemo, which is chemo directly into your spine just to stay in that space because chemo typically does not cross the blood-brain barrier. Yep. So because of that, I was getting chemo intrathecal. So they would do the lumbar puncture, pull out the cerebral spinal fluid to test it, but then push in chemo to start treating the leukemia cells. Then they also, they were having to come up with another plan to treat the relapse. My doctor that was there at the time was Dr. Holland. I actually listened to one of his podcast the other day. <laughs> he was the one seeing me and we talked about CAR T and he stayed up. He said till one o'clock in the morning trying to find a trial to get me in at the time. That does not surprise me. Dr. Holland is an incredible man. He is awesome, but he could not find a trial to get me in because of my age. You know, I was 46 at the time. And with it being only CNS and not systemic, those two things pushed me out of any trial. So all this time where everybody is like, you're young and healthy, you're going to do well. All of a sudden now is he was like, you're too old and you're too sick, <laughs> you know, for CAR T. So once they got the swelling in the brain down, and that was extensive steroid treatment, got the swelling down, and they got aggressive with the intrathecal chemotherapy, and then used two chemo drugs, IV, that had the best chance to pass through the blood-brain barrier. So I, had, I was getting chemo those two ways. They also decided that we needed to do another transplant but that haplo would be the best process because with the haplo, you typically apparently get more GVHD. And the thought process is the more GVHD you get, the less of a chance you have for a relapse. So I was like, okay, let's do that. And they went out to the registry to look for a match, but also tested both of my parents and both of my children. My mom came back as a match, a half match. I kept calling it a half match. <laughs> <laughs> so she came back as the best haplo donor for me. And we went along with that. And that was scheduled for March 1st of 2019. So I had a lot of chemo and on March 1st of 2019, my mom was now my donor for my haplo. And they explained to me that the haplo transplant was going to be a little bit different as far as my reactions. And they did things a little bit different. They were expecting a different type of reaction and that immediately chemo would start because of this particular reaction. So same as my first transplant, I went in on March 1st and got the transplant and everything went well. And again, I could eat and walk and everything was fine. I was fever free and I went home that night, but just as before, neutropenic fever the next morning and I was readmitted. This is from October to March. I readmitted and they started treating the fever and then the things that would happen with the haplo transplant started to happen. And I just didn't feel as well with that one as I did with the first one. 
the preparation was not as intense as the first transplant because they told me that, you know, your body just can't take that much radiation and that type of chemo again. So it was, you know, there's still chemo, but I just had one radiation appointment. It was like an hour instead of, you know, the four days, twice a day. So it was super simple. But back in the hospital, started blood transfusions, platelet transfusions, the same kind of thing. But like I said, I just didn't feel as well, felt a little more sick, a little more fatigued, you know, and the things that go along with that. Wow, Kelly. Yes. (laughs) So it's a transplant. It's kind of tough on your body, but that's expected. So that's okay. And then in late April, I developed GVHD of the skin and I had a pretty bad reaction. It didn't hurt. It itched, but you could actually see the rash. So they started me on steroids. I was on IV steroids for several weeks, and then we switched to oral steroids and started to feel a little bit better, like in early May. I was still on steroid treatment, but then I still required, you know, a lot of care from my family. I wasn't self-sufficient. I could walk around and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't in the hospital. I got to be at home. And then around mid-May, I started not feeling well again. I'd contracted a virus called human parainfluenza 3, and that turned into pneumonia. And I also had a serious sinus infection that they were diagnosing with CAT scans. And that was concerning because with your immune system being so low, they were afraid, you know, if it got into the bone, it would create a fungal infection, which of course would be bad. So they kept a good eye on that. I was admitted for the pneumonia and the para-influenza. I also had developed GBHD of the um, GI tract, which was unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. Very unpleasant. They had given me a EGD, which is where they put a scope down your throat and also a colonoscopy. So, you know, just checking everything from both sides, doing biopsies and checking to make sure everything was okay. And this was all in the hospital. I also developed bacteremia, which is bacteria in your blood. I was pretty sick. I had a lot going on. I felt terrible. I was in the hospital for a while while they treated all that heavy antibiotics, antivirals for the human parainfluenza and the pneumonia. And that took quite a while, but I finally got over all of that. It took a few months before I started feeling better again. But from March through we'll say like July, by the time July came around, I started feeling really good. I got energy back, not back to where I was, but, you know, enough to where I could, you know, stay awake throughout the day and do some normal things at home. I still couldn't go anywhere. I didn't have a great, you know, immune system. But one of the things, all of the steroids that I was on for the GVHD, I developed a steroid-induced diabetes, so I had that to deal with as well. So many things. (laughs) Wow, Kelly, this is quite a journey you've had. Thank you so much for sharing this today. I guess I wanted to know, how was the haplotransplant versus the original transplant? Which one was tougher? We hear all the time from patients that some GVHD is a good thing. It actually helps ensure that everything's working. So Kelly, could you share a bit about the difference between the two transplants? Okay. Yeah, I would say the haplotransplant was a little more 
tough than the original transplant, the 10 out of 10 match. But the haploid transplant did what they wanted it to do, which was have me develop GVHD, which I did, both of the skin and the GI tract. Okay. So we had reached our goal of doing something that would hopefully not have a relapse repeat itself. Kelly, we're so happy to hear that you are doing so well today. I wanted to ask you, you know, cancer is not for wimps. We all know that. And in hearing your story, everything you've been through, how does it work for you during a pandemic? I feel like the rest of us are complaining and moaning and groaning. Do you have any pearls of wisdom for everyone as we all try to deal with this? I do, actually, because when you have transplants or you have, you know, a blood cancer, your immune system is destroyed. So as part of that normal process, you can't be in public. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to church. You can't go anywhere that there's going to be a crowd where you can contract anything, the flu or a cold or a sore throat or anything like that. That's just you know, going to be bad. So you have to stay in anyway. So I was kind of on quarantine for two and a half years. Sure. I was allowed off two weeks before the pandemic began (laughs) and I got to go in out twice. (laughs) And then everybody's like, oh, this is so bad. We've been at home for two or three weeks. I'm like, look, I did it for 917 days. You got this. But who's counting, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So for me, it really was no different. It was just, that's the way it was. I just had, you know, everybody was home with me for a change instead of me being (laughs) home alone. Welcome to your world. Exactly. So for me, personally, there was no big difference. I was already accustomed to be at home and to not be around other people, just staying at home. And then they're like, you know, the medically fragile stay at home. So of course, you know, my family is like, you're not going anywhere. But (laughs) I am doing better now, and I have pretty much a normal immune system. Oh, that's terrific. Yes, I have. My white count is normal, and my neutrophils are normal. So those kinds of things are returning to normal. So I can go out to eat. And the way you go out to eat now, anyway, you know, as places (laughs) in Georgia start to open up, you know, I've been able to go to a restaurant and everybody's so spread out. It's not, you know. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. It's actually optimum for you. It really is. And it was fun to go out to eat because I couldn't do that forever. And I finally got to go to a restaurant and it was amazing. But, you know, because of the pandemic, the wait staff and everybody, they're wearing masks. So, (laughs) and then you sit so far apart, you know, you're just not even near anybody except your own family that you're around normally. So for me, it was no different than the way I've spent the past almost three years of my life. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Kelly, thank you so much for your optimism and your resilience and for sharing your story with us today. We wish you all the best. Is there anything else you'd like to add as we finish up today? I would just like to say, even though a haplo is a little more tough, here I am doing better. 15 months post-transplant, I have my energy mostly back. There are a few days here and there where I'm a little tired, but for the most part, I feel great. 
I don't know if I'll ever be my old self again. I don't see me working a 12-hour shift and being able to get through it, but that's not the worst thing. (laughs) I'm getting stronger every day. I can do normal stuff around the house now, like cook dinner and do laundry and it's good. I never reached that milestone with my first transplant. So I'm in full remission. Things are going well. It's good. Well, congratulations. And thank you again, Kelly. Thank you so much for um, letting me share my story. And thank you to the NBMT link for the opportunity to talk to y'all and share my story and hopefully let anybody know that's getting a haplo that, you know, it may be a little tough in the beginning, which is expected, but I'm a survivor so far and hopefully you will be too. Well, that is the perfect way to end this. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. This has been the Marrow Masters podcast. Feel free to share this episode via social media, text, or email. To hear more, subscribe for free to Marrow Masters in your favorite podcast app. To learn more about the resources available to patients and caregivers, check out the National Bone Marrow Transplant link at nbmtlink.org. That's nbmtlink.org. Or just tap the link below in the show notes.